Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be talking about public education here in the state of Florida. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. And former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is December the 29th, and on this day in 1940, London suffered its most devastating air raid when Germans firebombed the city. Hundreds of fires caused by the exploding bombs engulfed areas of London, but firefighters showed a valiant indifference to the bombs falling around them and saved much of the city from destruction. The next day, a newspaper photo of St. Paul's Cathedral standing undamaged amid the smoke and flames seemed to symbolize the capital's unconquerable spirit during the Battle of Britain. In May and June 1940, Holland, Belgium, Norway, and France fell one at a time to the German uh, attacks, leaving Great Britain alone in its resistance against Nazi leader Adolf Hitler's plans for world domination. The British Expeditionary Force escaped uh, continent uh, with an impromptu evacuation from Dunkirk, but they left the tanks and artillery needed to defend their homeland against the invasion. With the British air and land forces outnumbered by the German counterparts and U.S. air not yet begun, it seems certain that Britain would soon follow the fate of France. However, Winston Churchill, the new prime minister, promised his nation and the world that Britain would never surrender and Britain, uh, British people mobilized behind their defiant leader. On June the 5th, the Luftwaffe began attacks on English Channel ports and convoys, and on June the 30th, Germans seized control of the undefended Channel Islands. On July the 10th, the first day of the Battle of Britain, according to the RAF, the Luftwaffe intended its, uh, intensified its bombing of British ports. Six days later, Hitler ordered the German army and navy to prepare for Operation Sea Lion. On July the 19th, the German leader made a speech in Berlin in which he offered a conditional peace to the British government. Britain would keep its empire and be spared from invasion if its leaders accepted the German domination of the European continent. A simple radio message from Lord Halifax swept the proposal away. German needed to master the skies over Britain, but if it was <clears throat> to transport safely it's to its superior land forces across the 21-mile English Channel, on August the 8th, the Luftwaffe intensified its raid against the ports in an attempt to draw the British air fleet out, of the, out into the open. Simultaneously, the Germans began bombing Britain's sophisticated uh, uh, radar defense system and RAF fighters' airfields. During August, as many as 1,500 German aircraft crossed the channel daily, often blotting out the sun as they flew against the British targets. Despite the odds against them, the outnumbered RAF flyers successfully resisted the massive German air invasion, relying on radar technology, more maneuverable aircraft, and exceptional bravery. For every British plane shot down, two Luftwaffe planes were destroyed. At the end of August, the RAF launched a retaliatory air raid against uh, Berlin. 
Hitler was enraged and ordered the Luftwaffe to shift its attacks from the RAF installations to London and other British cities. On September the 7th, the Blitz against London began, and after a week of almost ceaseless attacks, several areas of London were in flames, and the Royal Palace, churches, and hospitals had all been hit. However, the concentration of London allowed the RAF to recuperate elsewhere, and on September the 15th, the RAF launched a vigorous counterattack, downing 56 German aircraft and two dogfights that lasted uh, less than an hour. The costly raid convinced the Germans' high command that the Luftwaffe could not achieve air supremacy over Britain, and the next day, daylight attacks were replaced with nighttime sorties as a, as a concession of defeat. On September the 19th, Nazi air leader Adolf Hitler proposed, postponed indefinitely Operation Sea Lion, the amphibious invasion of Britain. The Battle of Britain, however, continued. In October, Hitler ordered a massive bombing campaign against London and other cities to crush British morale and force armistice. Despite significant loss of life and tremendous material damage to British cities, the country's resolve remained unbroken. The ability of Londoners to maintain their composure had much to do with British's survival during this uh, trying period. As American journalist Edward R. Murrow reported, not once have I heard a man, woman, or child suggest Britain should throw her hand in. In May 1941, the air raids essentially ceased as German forces massed near the border of the USSR. By denying the Germans a quick victory, depriving them of forces to be used in the invasion of the USSR, and proving to America that increased armed support for Britain was not in vain, the outcome of the Battle of Britain greatly changed the course of World War II. As Churchill said, Churchill said on the RAF flyers during the Battle of Britain, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed to so many to so few. A great page in history going back to 1940. A great movie, uh, <clears throat> 12 O'Clock High, is, uh, tells some of the story of this, and it's just a great movie. 12 O'Clock High, I highly recommend it. Well, 231 years ago uh, this month, America's founders enshrined free speech as the first protection in the ratified Bill of Rights with a declaration that government could not infringe on expression, free expression. A series of blockbuster revelations at the end of 2022 show how much imperiled those protections have become in an era of big tech. From Elon Musk's Twitter files to the agent, FBI agent's candid testimony, Americans have gotten a glimpse into once-hidden enterprise where federal agencies pressured social media platforms directly and through proxies to censor content under the terms of service. The goal, it appears, was to preserve the rule, uh, ruling elite's favored narratives on everything from the pandemic to in election integrity. The exposés have undercut claims that the FBI only targeted uh, foreign disinformation, making clear that everyday opinions of Americans were also in the crosshairs. They also have raised alarms across political spectrum about the future of free speech in the world's most famous constitutional republic. This is serious stuff, and hopefully it will be addressed in the next Congress. The FBI is defending itself by saying, hey, it didn't order social media firms to censor content, and instead just suggested posts that, One sec. The, that the Bureau uh, okay. believed... I found this on the web for a series of blockbuster revelations. ...conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Uh, we, were, we were talking before the 
the interruption. I must have gremlins in this computer. It's just unbelievable. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley said he was troubled by the Bureau's dismissive response calling for a new church committee like the one impaneled by Congress in the 70s to investigate the Bureau's misdeeds a half century ago. The revelations about just how the government impacted debate and targeted opinions for censorship have been accelerating. And here's some of those important disclosures. Now, this all ha- these disclosures just happened in the last couple of weeks. The FBI set up a command center in San Francisco in fall of 2020 that forwarded censorship requests from the Bureau headquarters to social media platforms. Can you believe that? Uh, the FBI succeeded frequently with social media firms when it forwarded censorship requests, including content posted by Americans. Uh, Federal agencies also uh, partnered with contractors to ensure certain content was policed and censorship, creating a degree of separation. Mike Taibbi uh, reported earlier this month that in addition to the FBI seeking takedowns of select posts, the Department of Homeland Security was also working with security contractors to make sure select content was deemed misinformation. Department of Homeland Security also partnered with various think tanks, including a consortium, called the Election Integrity Partnership and met with executives from big tech with shocking regularity to go over what would constitute disinformation. Homeland Security officials also took part in a weekly meetings weekly meetings with uh, Twitter executives at the 2020 election approached. Uh, Department of Homeland Security was part of a group of government agencies keeping in regular contact with Twitter executives in the final weeks leading up to the 2020 election. These meetings became routine and included the FBI and other federal entities. Also, Homeland Security knew Twitter had second thoughts about censorship of Hunter Biden's laptop story. Taibbi's uh, review of the third release of Twitter's internal files disclosed that Twitter's chief of safety and uh, trust, Yoel Roth, was having communications describing his regular meetings with senior U.S. intelligence officials. Whistleblower's memo showed that DHS downplayed uh, plans for a governance board to fight disinformation. This new document also reveals that disinformation governance board plans to partner with big tech were far more extensive than DHS or the White House admitted. And the FBI paid Twitter $3.4 million as part of its disinformation monitoring. The sender name was blocked. However, the message was clear. I'm happy to report that we have collected $3,415,323 since October 2019. The unidentified sender said to be Baker. The money apparently came as a reimbursement. Uh, for the time spent processing requests from the FBI. Federal agencies also launched a coordinated campaign to discredit stories about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. Schellenberger (coughs) released memos that showed how the FBI and the U.S. intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. This is all just incredible stuff. The Twitter files number seven, we present evidence pointing to an organized effort by representatives of the intelligence community aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies to discredit leaked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published, Schellenberger wrote. First, it's important to understand that Hunter Biden earned tens of millions of dollars in contracts 
with foreign businesses, including one linked to China's government, for which Hunter offered no real work. And yet, during all of 2020, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Yoel Roth to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. Schellenberg tweeted, citing that a sworn declaration by Roth given in December 2020. Federal agencies also have impacted the Americans' debate over COVID-19 pandemic, at times censoring factually accurate posts at odds with the government's preferred narrative. Uh, This is just incredible stuff. What's next? Well, Congress is going to investigate how far-reaching federally sanctioned censorship has become, including at at platforms beyond Twitter. Representative Jim Jordan, the incoming chairman of the House of Judiciary Committee, said he's planning to spearhead a wide-ranging investigation to the FBI and Department of Justice. This was an information operation and misinformation operation run by big government and big tech against we the people, he added. And they did it before the most important election we have had, and it's not supposed to happen in this great country, but it did. And again, this is why we have to expose it for so that it never happens again. Well, I believe he's right. We should have another church committee like we had in the 70s and uh, to investigate the FBI, these federal agencies, all of them, and uh, root out the co- corruption that we find that's uh, working against the American people. I apologize for the... <laughs> For the interruption, I don't know where that came from, but ir- irrespective, uh, this uh, part of the show was brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Call Your Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and also bringing you exceptional theater experiences uh, that change lives. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now, we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, um, Florida Citizens Alliance is a coalition of uh, groups across the state of Florida. Uh, we're a 501c3 not-for-profit, and we focus exclusively on K-12 education. Uh, to us, that means uh, both stopping the indoctrination, uh, but it really means expanding school choice options for parents and uh, helping parents find alternatives to uh, what's going on in our government schools. Yeah, it's a terrific organization. I was uh, one of the founding members. I'm very proud of that. Uh, Keith and uh, Pastor Rick have done a terrific job in terms of uh, impacting education here in Florida th- through legislation and working with the governor and the Commissioner of Education. And I just encourage you to visit the website, goflca.com, goflca.com. So, uh, Keith, I think 2022 has been a pretty good year when it comes to impacting positive education and uh, public education here in Florida. What are you looking forward to in uh, 2023? Well, I'm uh, looking for uh, uh, continuing to stampede forward on improving education here in Florida. The governor has indicated uh, and the legislature have both indicated that that they're going to focus on expanding uh, school choice. Um, They're uh, they're looking at other areas of, of, you know, we're hopeful that they'll get rid of uh, some of the pornography that's in our schools. Uh, some of the leadership is uh, is being supportive of that, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, from an FLCA point of view, um, uh, we're going to continue to uh, to grow aggressively to, to help parents understand what's going on in the public school system, the government school system, and find alternatives. Uh, in 2022, uh, we started 2022 with 110,000 active supporters. We're slightly over 250,000 right now. Um, we're looking to grow that uh, significantly, at least to 400,000, um, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, we're in the process of putting our plans together. Uh, but when you think about the opportunity, we've got 2.8 million kids stuck in government schools. And if you do a little bit of crude math, you know, that's 4 to 5 million parents. And then you add in grandparents and concerned citizens. You know, our opportunity is uh, easily six to seven million uh, parents uh, and, and 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 folks. You know, at the grassroots level. So um, we have a great opportunity to really 
change education, continue to change it in a positive way, and so we're going to continue to do that. Outstanding. Um, you know, in fact, uh, all of us should be concerned about the quality of education uh, because it's our future. It's uh, how kids are trained now and uh, what kind of citizens they're going to become really, really is dependent upon what's happening in public schools today. So it's an important issue for all of us. I know well, the, um, you know, and I'm going to use Collier County as a pattern, but when you step back and look at what happened in the 2022 election from a school board point of view, the collective we, and I mean, you know, that's the governor, all of our groups, uh, grassroots groups that were working on this, uh, we flipped six school districts. And so there's an opportunity. We've, uh, Florida Citizens Alliance has created a, a list of nine actions uh, that school boards can take to improve the quality of education without waiting for the legislature to tell them what to do. Um, some examples for that is, I mean, 75% of our third graders can't read at a proficiency level. They right. don't need to wait for the Department of Education to give them a, tell them to implement a, a high-quality uh, phonics program. Uh, here in Collier County, we're hopeful that uh, uh, Kelly Lichter will use uh, Mason Academy's program to extend across all of of uh, our schools so that's that's one example um when you when, when you look at what the schools have been doing over the last number of years you know as long as i've been involved in terms of buying textbooks from these woke publishers there's no reason they need to do that um they're spending millions of dollars on textbooks that that are literally you know, to leading our kids towards socialism or worse. Right. So, so we're uh, we're going to be strongly recommending it that the school district stop buying those books and start using original source documents. Uh, this year, uh, 2023, is going to be a year where all of the school districts begin to adopt uh, social studies textbooks to replace the ones from four years ago. Uh, they don't need to buy those woke uh, publishers. They can use original source documents. You know, materials from Hillsdale, there are other really good sources. So, uh, um, you know, that's another example of, of an action that the local school district can, can take. They don't need to wait for the legislature to tell them what to do. So, Yeah. Um, Lots of great opportunities. I, but by the way, I'm, I'm changing topics slightly here, but it's been in the news lately about uh, the elections for school boards being nonpartisan or being uh, with, with no affiliation to a pol- political party. Uh, I personally ha- believe that a lot of candidates understand what people want, and they go up and say the right things during the election. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, implementing, they all of a sudden turn extremely liberal and progressive. I'm wondering if uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, um, well, uh, we're actually meeting with Spencer Roach next week in uh, Tallahassee. Uh, Spencer Roach is out of Lee County. He's a state legislator, and he's already introduced a bill. He had it last year, and it didn't make any progress. But it actually would make uh, school school, uh, board elections partisan. Uh, It's uh, a joint resolution 31, if anybody wants to look it up. Um, I'm generally supportive of that. Um, I haven't actually read the details of his bill yet. But, um, you know, what's going on in our schools is certainly undermining our constitutional republic. And, uh, and so I think we, we ought to have partisan elections and we ought to hold these folks accountable to, uh, to, to uh, 
you know, conservative principles. I agree with that. And, of course, another positive aspect of this is that uh, you might be able to slip by uh, running as a nonpartisan in, in an election, but you're not going to fool everybody in the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, for that matter. So I, yeah. think, I think there would be a, a, a real positive outcome if you had uh, partisan elections that had Republicans versus Democrats and independents and so forth. Yeah. And, and, and what's happened over the, you know, since we've been doing these nonpartisan elections in school districts is it's given all the power to the unions. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, changing that and, and you know, that's a, one of those nine items. We think that every school district in Florida right now, and I don't know if you know this, Bob, but uh, every school district in Florida collects the dues for the union members, and then writes a check to the school to, to the union should not should not That's happen. Crazy, yeah. Well, they should if, if you want to be part yeah. of the union, you should write a check every month. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and those are actions again that the school district can take tomorrow. They don't have to wait for somebody in Tallahassee to tell them what to do. That's so, so true, uh, Keith. I, I I know there's so much more we can discuss, but I'm uh, before I let you go, I would like to you to mention what's happening in your gala coming up. Yeah, we have a, a March 8th, um, Speaker Newt Gingrich is going to be our guest speaker, and uh, it's going to be at the Ritz uh, at Tiburon, and uh, it's going to be an exciting event. It's our major fundraiser for the year, and so we invite people to come uh, join us, support what we do, and, uh, you know, be part of uh, of that whole event. So, um, again, the website is GoFLCA. Dot com go flca.com and, and we and bob we do have a sale going on till the end of the year so you have two more days to buy tickets at a 10 percent discount all right go flca.com again keith flaw co-founder of the florida citizens alliance genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show i hope you have a very happy new year and thanks so much for joining us happy new year to you and all your listeners bob thank you so much keith all right coming up we're going to visit with michael cannon he's the director of health policy studies at the cato institute that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, we get the politics. We know the policy. We prepare your elected officials to win big. You could find out more by visiting. And by the way, I proudly serve on the board of the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you look into it. You can do that by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Well, Twitter CEO and increasingly contentious cultural critic Elon Musk this week slammed mainstream media for what he indicated was a lackluster response to the bombshell Twitter files his company has released over the last several weeks. Those files have revealed a wide-ranging and at-times conspiratorial effort by Twitter moderators to censor and restrict huge portions of speech on the platform, particularly those surrounding COVID-19 and President Joe Biden's family. On Tuesday, responding to a writer's Substack post regarding the extent to which the corporate media has been become a propaganda arm of the state, Musk wrote in a Twitter, Why is corporate journalism rushing to defend the state instead of the people? Just let that sink in. Why is the corporate journalism rushing to defend the state instead of the people? Why would anyone trust the corpo journalism, he wrote in the latter, Elsewhere, following a CNBC commentator's claim that Musk's reputation with Twitter is impacting his reputation when it comes to his, all of his companies, Musk himself responded, the legacy media should worry about its reputation. We have only just begun, uh, wrote uh, Musk. The business tycoon at one point indicated his willingness to consider Twitter's purchase of Substack, a popular online writing platform, in order to bring about massive competition for obsolete legacy corporate media. I'm open to the idea, he suggested. Uh, he's right. It, it is difficult, actually, to, in fact, uh, in the last segment, we talked a little bit about uh, the alignment between the U.S. government, its uh, agencies, and uh, also uh, Twitter and other uh, other social media platforms, but it's been pretty intense and pretty real, and uh, it's it's been difficult to follow because of the way it's been released, but I would suggest that uh, right now we should use the information he's released in order to understand what's happening, the collusion between government and uh, the uh, social media. Well, micro crossings have plummeted in a mile-long stretch of downtown El Paso where the Texas Army National Guard has set up concertina wire and uh, portable fencing along the Rio Grande. The guard began setting up the barrier last week as a gap in the border, west wall west of the Paso, uh, Paso del Norte port of entry. In the space of eight days, the barbed wire has nearly reached a second port of entry and a ch uh, chain-linked fence anchoring by sandbags extends even further. The result is the asylum seekers can no longer walk across ankle-deep water in the Rio Grande and then turn themselves in to waiting Border Patrol agents in the area. The differ difference is vast, said uh, First Sergeant Suzanne Ringel. 
the 19th and 20th and 21st, we had uh, large groups of families and individuals who were wanting to come across. Now it's almost ghost town out there. So it's just a little barbed wire is uh, at least uh, sending these people elsewhere. She attributed this as the visual deterrent of the barbed wire, parked Humvees, and soldiers patrolling the air with their semi-automatic rifles. As of Tuesday, 600 Guard members were in El Paso on uh, border security during associated with uh, Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. Texas Governor Greg Abbott responded to the story by vowing to continue to protect the border by continuing the deployment of the National Guard and securing the border. We will continue to deploy the National Guard, razor wire, large container boxes, and building the wall to do what we can to deter illegal immigration uh, caused by uh, Biden. I don't know why this hasn't been started before, but if a little bit of barbed wire, which is pretty inexpensive, uh, can be rolled out in uh, some National Guard's Guardsmen, then uh, we should be able doing this and uh, do it all across the borders to prevent people from crossing into the United States illegally. So we still have Title 42 in place, and uh, we there's just it'd be so easy to just go back to the way Trump had it before, and at the consequence of the Biden plan and or lack of plan is uh, five million people coming into the country illegally since Biden took took on uh, in the Biden administration. As you undoubtedly know, if you have a child with a woke teacher, uh, Kwanzaa is yet upon us. On Monday, the non-denominational celebration of African-American heritage began. The seven-day festival runs through January the 1st, celebrating one principle of black American experience each night. Uh, not that even that many uh, celebrate this, mind you. In 2019, USA Today found that of those planning to celebrate a winter holiday, only 2.6% will be celebrating Kwanzaa. In 2012, NPR even asked, is Kwanzaa still a thing? Short answer, yes, but only for a crowd that listens to NPR, which would mean the crowd that uh, Biden-Harris White House care about. Thus, it's a little surprise both to the president and vice president released messages marking the holiday season. In the first family statement, Joe Biden said, uh, offered gratitude for the rich heritage of African Americans, which is deep in the story of our nation. In 2023, it's our hope that we will all remember the wisdom of the uh, seven principles of Kwanzaa, especially the values of unity, faith, as we work towards the promise of a national uh, nation, real in the lives of every American. He said, fairly, fa fairly pro forma and uncontroversial, instead of uh, following the lead, Vice President Kamala Harris really doubled down on one of her more preposterous personal claims. Growing up, she said, Kwanzaa was always a special time. We came together with generations of friends and family and neighbors, Harris said in her video recorded by, with her husband, Doug Emhoff. There were never enough chairs, so my sister and I and the other children would often sit on the floor together and we lit the candles of Kanara. And then and the elders would talk about how Kwanzaa is a time to celebrate culture, community, and family. And they, of course, taught us about the seven principles, she continued. My favorite principle is always the second, self-determination. It's a uh, different word than that, but it uh, means self-determination. The power to design your own life and determine your own future, and it's a deeply American principle. One of the guides me every day as vice president, she said. It's too bad they're repeatedly making stuff up despite being called out on it. It's one of the seven principles celebrated during Kwanzaa. Then not only uh, uh, could uh, both Vice President Harris and Biden uh, President Biden have the same favorite principle. Harris could annually use the holiday to show how dedicated it is to, she is to it. To understand what the, uh, this is problematic, 
you, know, you just got to take a look at the history. As National Geographic notes, Kwanzaa was started in 1966 by a, a Los Angeles black power activist and, and uh, academic, Malanga Karanga. His real name was Ron, Ronald McKinley Everett. He founded the organization. The Holy Holiday struggled, uh, struggled for sen uh, recognition in its early years, writes Elizabeth Pleck in the Journal of American Ethnic History. Although some urban communities adopted it, many Christians and Muslims viewed the secular holiday as antithetical to their beliefs, the National Geographic noted. Kwanzaa adopted uh, also slowed uh, the, us as the U.S. Organization unraveled in eternal feuds, including Karanga's 1971 conviction and imprisonment for torturing two women he believed had tried to poison him. Instead, National Geographic notes the holiday wasn't widely recognized until the 80s. Now, here's the problem. Kamala Harris was born in 1964 before the holiday existed and long before it was popular enough that there would be a high likelihood she was sitting on the floor at the wheat, as a wheat tyke talking with her sisters about the seven principles of Kwanzaa. But wait, this isn't the first time that she's told America the same improbable story, or the second, and it's also not the first time she's been called out for it, too. Uh, the ladies and gentlemen are the 20 and 2021 odes to uh, uh, self-determination, uh, complete with insistence that, yes, she celebrated this holiday repeatedly as a child and had vivid memories of it, and a bit of eye-rolling as well as courtesy the, uh, uh, of uh, Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, <laughs> the posts on Twitter are just hilarious. <laughs> One person said, sounds wonderful. Please share your family photos so we can all share in your memories. And there's also derision and fury. And some uh, used occasion to mention the um, less savory aspects of Kwanzaa and its founder, you know, the murdering of two women. What's important here is that Harris attempts to rectify it and pander to the American uh, African-American demographic, they're so obvious and fake. Three times she's told this story, each time, it's a lie. So uh, maybe she'd talk about uh, the principle of honesty as well. All right, coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with uh, uh, the, in the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Well, a federal judge has approved a $10.3 million class action settlement with the university health care system, and workers who denied religious exemptions from the COVID-19 vaccine are going to get rewarded for it. Chicago-based North Shore University Health System came to terms with 500 current and former health care workers this summer, but it's only Friday that the U.S. judge approved the settlement terms. The class covering North Shore team members who submitted the religious exemption request between July 1st, 2021 and January 1st, 2022 were denied exemptions and either took a vaccine to avoid the termination or were fired or resigned due to their religious objections. The order says that no class member timely opted out of the settlement or re- filed a request for exclusion. The plaintiff's lawyers at Liberty Council will receive $2.06 million in attorney's fees. And the 13 class representatives are going to get $20,000 each. The reason I'm telling this story, first of all, it's a setback for all this this. Uh, uh, the, the president doesn't, we, we are free people. We have a right to decide the types of medicine we're going to take. In fact, it's not even legal to talk about or ask people about their private information, medical information. So that's one reason is that, that this is an important story because it's a setback for this type of tyranny, healthcare tyranny that we've seen from this administration. But the other thing is, of course, the attorneys are getting $2.06 million in attorney's fees and the thir- 13 class representatives they get $20,000 each. Is there an imbalance there? I think so. Liberty Council said the settlement checks will be sent out in 60 days. Employees who were fired can apply or rehire, get rehired within 90 days, and they will retain their previous seniority level, the firm said. Several have already rehi- been rehired, the Liberty Council said. So this is good news. Uh, it's a... It's a step forward in the right direction. I do think that these class action lawsuits, I think the attorneys benefit too much and not enough for the plaintiffs. Well, if you haven't heard, the Arizona judge has delivered a devastating ruling against Kerry Lake's election lawsuit, but leftists may not want to be celebrating this development just yet. On Saturday, The Hill reported that Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson dismissed Lake's case, claiming that she did not have enough evidence to prove intentional misconduct on the part of the Maricopa County election officials that was sufficient to challenge the election results. 
They also reported that Judge Thompson had previously dismissed eight other counts in lawsuit in Lake's lawsuit, saying they did not constitute proper grounds for the election contest. Yet despite this ruling, this issue looks far from over as Lake does not appear to be giving up anytime soon. In response to the ruling, Lake took up to Twitter on Saturday saying, for the sake of restoring faith and honesty in our elections, I will appeal his ruling. Uh, Texas State Representative also came out in support of Lake saying, the establishment mistakenly thinks they delivered a death blow to Kerry Lake. Little do they know that they've created a powerhouse who will lead a movement in Arizona that assures their demise. Ms. Lake does not know how to give up uh, onward, is the tweet uh, that he wrote. Indeed, it seems that if Kerry Lake has no intention of giving up that easily, I think this is all going to go to the Supreme Court. Now, it truly has her chances of launching a successful challenge to the election results are minimal. As Carrie Lake War Room uh, wrote on Twitter in response to the ruling, the law in Arizona apparently allows for elections to be stolen. It certainly appears that way. The evidence is overwhelming. Uh, Katie Hobbs, who was her opponent, uh, says that she wants to sue uh, Carrie Lake for bringing the case to court. That's already been dismissed. But I think Carrie Lake is going to take this to an appeals court, and I think it probably will end up in the uh, Supreme Court. Arizona election, uh, uh, Katie Hobbs' request to bring sanctions upon the gubernatorial candidate after Lake's unsuccessful lawsuit was denied by the Arizona judge. Well, Oberlin College has forked over $36 million owed to local bakery after the Progressive Ohio School falsely accused the family operation business of being a racist. Now, this story is old. This goes back several years, but finally the money's being paid off. And the Oberlin College has put this family through undeniable, just terrible, uh, it's just nearly bankrupted them. And this business had been a family business for years. The substantial payout was awarded earlier this year after Gibson Bakery won a defamation lawsuit against the school that sided with three black students who claimed the store racially profiled them when they were caught stealing from the shop in 2016. This goes back seven years. We can confirm that all funds have been dispersed and that the family is continuing the process of rebuilding Gibson's Bakery for the next generations, said the family attorney. It's definitely about right and wrong, and to be quite frank, the three students that shoplifted, they admitted their crimes, added McHugh. It was Oberlin College that could never admit that what they did was wrong. Uh, the 137-year-old bakery plans to use the money to rebuild the store, which lost a considerable amount of business after the racism accusations and COVID-19 pandemic hit concurrently. Gibson's Bakery uh, filed the defamation lawsuit against Oberlin College in 2017, a year after the shoplifting incident. Uh, Gibson's son, Alan, uh, chased the trio uh, out of the store where a scuffle ensued, and when the police arrived, the students alleged Alan racially profiled them and insulted them. <laughs> the hypocrisy. Can you believe it? An Oberlin College staffer created a distrib and distributed flyers claiming the family had a long account of racial profiling and discrimination and urged shoppers to boycott the store. Protesters from the school, both students and teachers, picketed outside the Ohio bakery. The family lost a substantial amount of business because of the allegations. Gibson said even after the students admitted in 2017 they hadn't been racially profiled, they pled guilty to attempted theft. Uh, the Gibsons decided to sue the college because the family's patriarch, 89-year-old Alan Sr., who had dedicated his life to the business, did not want to die being falsely branded as a racist. 
Oberlin College was fined $11 million for the defamation in 2019 after finding the college defamed the bakery when the staffer made the flyers, but the school tried to appeal the ruling. In September, the Ohio Supreme Court denied Oberlin's bid to hear its appeal and ordered it to pay out over $36 million. So there is justice, but look how long it takes. It's definitely about right and wrong, and to be quite frank, the three students that shoplifted there admitted their crimes. It was Oberlin College that could never admit what they did was wrong, and it was. So stirring things up, trying to be uh, using the race card in, in terms of promoting their virtue signaling, and it cost them $36 million. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob, thank you. It's uh Getting near another year, huh? It really is. And uh, are you reflecting on uh, uh, things you want to accomplish in the coming year? Well, I, I kind of reflect on the things that I want to <laughs> to do in the following days. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, Bill. <laughs> yeah, much less the year. No, you know, Bob, um, I certainly uh, want to um, uh, see the shelter uh, 
continue to succeed with the wonderful, wonderful things that the, that the Shelter for Abused Women and Children that they do. Mm. And um, I really enjoy being uh, chairman of the board. There's just a wonderful, wonderful people that I work with. So um, that's a that's certainly a goal, and uh, it's just course, parenthetically, Bill, just not to interrupt you, but I didn't even realize that you were on the board. Never mind the chairman of the board of the uh, Shelter for Abused Women and Children. That's just, uh, and this is you currently are serving in that capacity. Yes, that, uh, I start. I was um, I was um, elected or appointed in in uh, last July, and um, I was I've been on that board for a few years, actually since. Uh, 2017, and um, um, I just um, I just really enjoy it. And the funny the the, the funny thing is is that Chris, um, my wife, she was one of the first presidents or past presidents of that shelter when the shelter was in a duplex where nobody knew where it was because they obviously didn't want them to, um, right. and it was just fledgling. And this is back in the what late 80s. Late on the late eighties or mid eighties, so it's pretty interesting stuff. But they they just do a lot of good things, you know. And um, well, you know, so I, I you, you know, Bill, I've I've hosted a number of those. Uh, well, they used to have luncheons. I don't know if they're still doing the luncheons to uh, with yes. ta- cable uh, table captains. It was really always a great event, always with great speakers, and it's a terrific organization for our listeners that may not be familiar with a shelter for abused women and children. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, sure. As I say, it's been been here for years. We have a, a, a facility now that uh, the shelter the, sh- the shelter works um, with uh, all the departments um, in the city and the county, very close with the sheriff's department and the Naples Police Department and all the other organizations. Um, David Lawrence, um, you name it, they work with it. If there's um, uh, someone that needs uh, to to uh, be protected. From an abuser, uh, a family, um, they would come to the shelter. Uh, they would be recommended usually, but but not necessarily. And uh, the shelter has um, um, what, Chris? Medical teams. Oh, medical teams, of course. Um, uh, and and they would come to the shelter, and and we have um, uh, bungalows uh, that they can that they can stay in. Um, a lot of our donations, of course, are are, are food and clothes, and um, uh, it's a it's a it's a marvelous organization. It's very safe. Yeah. Uh, and to top it off, Bob, uh, people donate pet food because you're allowed to bring your pets with you if you you know obviously the the pet is a part of the family, and um, so it's um it's it's a it's a great organization, and they um, we're probably one of the top five in the country yeah. uh, for our size. Well, uh, many people just don't realize that the level of abuse that occurs in Collier County alone, I mean, it's just uh, amazing what I discovered when I was part of the organization that, uh, uh, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily follow along class lines or, or you know, uh, financial situations. It's uh, abusers right. can really be, and it's the most dangerous time in the, in, in the life of anybody who's been abused to actually decide to leave that situation. Well, it's true, and what we're doing now is we've opened another um, another part of the shelter in Immokalee, and we're dealing in uh, human trafficking, um, and uh, that's the Shelley Sayer one, and uh, we've had some wonderful, wonderful um, uh, uh, citizens in this community, and uh, 
that have donated and a, a very, very, very big following. And um, it's just um, it's just a good feeling. And the facility itself uh, is as safe as can be and um, yeah. very well very well protected. So that someone that comes in there can at least for the first time maybe ever feel comfortable and uh, that they are in good hands and safe, and that's that's the big thing. Well, and the so, other thing um, is 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 that uh, this this stuff can be perpetuated. I mean, in uh, right now, I know the shelter at least at the time that I was a part of the organization uh, was holding programs and and. Uh, providing education for young people Absolutely. To, to understand uh, the uh, domestic violence and how to avoid it and how to deal with it. Absolutely. That is an ongoing, continuing, improving. Uh, um, and our, our chair our chair of, of the board, um, Linda Oberhaus, is just wonderful. I mean, yeah. she is, uh, she, she's, a, she's a great lady and um, just does a wonderful job. And as I said, the rest of the staff as well. And it's always education. It's continuing education about domestic abuse because, like you just said, uh, people don't even realize it. You know, in Naples, Florida, I, I think one of the – there's nothing ever funny about it, but one of the things where we've had comments were, like, you, we, I'll just pick Port Royal out of the, um, out of, out of the middle, um, you know, that would say, oh, there's, there's, we don't have it down there, you know, i.e. because – because it's a, a wealthier neighborhood or whatever it is. There's no domestic abuse down there. I mean, you, you just, like you said, it's all over. Right. And, and um, you, don't, you don't realize it because it's not called to the forefront. Um, but we, we do, or uh, the shelter does a, a, a great job, just does a great job. But, yeah, I'm honored to do that. And, um, and the other thing, you know, for, for the coming year, obviously to try and stay healthy and uh, uh, exercise and um, – eat well and do the things that keep us going every day. You know what I mean? I do know. Bill, uh, uh, what is, do you know, happen to recall the website of the shelter? Um, you know, I don't, yeah, it, it would be, it would certainly be shelter for abused women. Um, yeah. Uh, dot com. Perhaps I don't have it in front of me because I don't use it, but I will have it for you for next week. Well, I'll tell you, you can just, everybody can Google, uh, uh, shelter for abused women and children in Naples. You'll find the information. Yeah. I just encourage. I want. I want our listeners to look into this. It's an important issue, and uh, I just really appreciate the work that you and others and Linda Oberhaus. I hope you wish her well for me. I just uh, really admire her. She, she's actually a, a deputized uh, member of the sheriff's department. That's uh, correct. <laughs> she she is. I don't see her riding around in a sheriff's car, but uh, she certainly is, and she works so closely with those organizations. Um, uh, all the mental health organizations, and and as I say, you you can't name one that the shelter doesn't work with or have a good working relationship with. Uh, uh, and um, as I say, so that's they they keep me busy, Bob. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Uh, well, Bill, I just you know, here I am. I think I've had you on the show for fifteen years every Thursday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. some of the things that you're doing, which is really terrific. So I just really congratulate you. And, Bill, I hope you uh, are preparing for a great new year. It sounds like you are. So really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining well, thanks, us. Thanks, Bob, and you guys as well. And as, uh, it's been a good year for you and I, and not so much for, for everybody else. And uh, let's hope they get rid of some of that snow in Buffalo. We'll talk about that next week. How's that? That sounds good. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, we have some great guests coming up uh, tomorrow. 
I'm going to visit with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific uh, Legal Foundation. Larry Bell is endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. And Dr. Amir Hussein will be joining us. He's concerned about inflation and health care. We'll find out about that as well. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>